In this week's episode entitled Diversity and Inclusion versus Mental Health, Julie Dennis, Head of Diversity and Inclusion at ACAS, joins Paul in this podcast to discuss her passion for diversity and inclusion as well as mental health in the workplace. As one of the country's most experienced professionals in this field, Julie shares her personal story from her first relationship to her PTSD and anxiety diagnosis and how these experiences changed her perspective and built her passion to help others. She discusses the intersection between diversity and inclusion and mental well-being and how they come hand in hand in the workplace and outside. Julie also shares what she has implemented in her workplace at ACAS that's dramatically improved the culture and approach to mental health support for their employees and other organizations. Focusing on the impact of human level approach to workplace well-being and not being afraid to bring your whole self to work. If you like this episode, don't forget to share with a friend and leave us a five-star review. If you want to find out more about the work that EveryMind does, then head over to everymindatwork.com. Enjoy the show. So Julie, welcome to the EveryMind podcast. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And I'm really pleased, Paul, uh, to be part of this podcast. So thanks for asking me to join you. No worries, no worries. Um, I think as we always do, it'll be good to start with a little bit of an introduction into who you are right now, what is your role, who you obviously work for, and then I'm guessing we're going to then go into the sort of story behind um, how you got there. So let's start with um, what do you do and and what company you work for? So uh, I'm Julie Dennis and I work for ACAS. Um, for people who don't know, ACAS is a government organisation and we deal with all issues to do with employee rights. So we deal with early conciliation. If people um, are in conflict with their employer, they have to come through ACAS first. But more importantly, provide advice and training to employers and workers across the UK on all issues to do with employment rights. And my role at ACAS is to lead on everything to do with equality and diversity and inclusion. So that can be making sure that us as a organization treat our people fairly and we have the proper policies and procedures but more importantly it's about me going out and sharing best practice with organizations about what good looks like working with government on policy and doing podcasts like this and educating people amazing and and we've spoken briefly before we obviously hit record on the on the on the podcast um and I know a little bit about your your journey and a little bit about your experiences because I think that's such an important part of this. And what I tend to find is when we speak to people that do the work that you do, there's there's a fire inside of you from somewhere that makes you do it, especially like you said, doing podcasts and trying to raise awareness and education. Um, you know, there's a lot of personal experience that comes with that. So if you don't mind, and of course, as, as comfortable as you feel, you know, what is that fire inside of you that makes you want to do the work that you do? Um, I have got that fire in my belly and a lot of people say, you know, I'm really passionate about um, diversity and inclusion. And I think that comes from my background. So um, I am uh, one of three children um, brought up by a single parent uh, back in the 70s. I know I don't look that old. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and, um, you know, I saw that inequality right early on, you know, from being coming from a single parent family. Um, But then also myself, um, you know, I, uh, as I got older um, and um, I think in terms of when we're looking at the subject around mental health and why I'm really passionate about mental health 
is that when I look back now, I know that in terms of my own mental health, that started to get affected when in my teenage years. So unfortunately, I had to leave home when I was uh, 17 years old because it wasn't safe for me to, to stay at home. And um, that had a real impact on me. Uh, but I didn't realise that until years later uh, when I first got um, diagnosed with depression. Uh, but also uh, when I left home and um, I met my first partner, my first serious relationship, uh, who we ended up getting married and having a child. Uh, and that was a mixed race relationship. So my, my husband was Jamaican. So again, facing discrimination, being in a mixed relationship. Uh, and again, that has an impact on, on your mental health. Uh, but also he as an individual, unfortunately, he had schizophrenia. So, you know, having to live with someone with such a, a really severe mental illness was really hard being a young mum and, and it actually ended up affecting my marriage and our marriage broke down. So, you know, at the age of, 21 I was divorced homeless and I've got a six-month-old baby um, and you know that makes you look at the world a bit differently I'd lost my job as well because uh, back in the early 1990s there wasn't the protection when you were pregnant if you'd not been in employment for more than two years so you know I've, I've at that stage in my life, I thought, you know, everything's against me. Um, and I went back to university, to be honest, to find myself and I did women's studies. And that's when I really thought I want to work in equality and diversity. I want to be able to make a difference. I want to be able to, you know, reach out to, you know, because if somebody could have reached out to me when I was younger and said, you know, things will be all right, you know, it might have made me feel better. So I've always wanted to challenge that inequality that I've experienced or I've seen around me uh, and that's why I'm really really passionate about what I do and I get to meet some fantastic people I love my job um, and you know I think it's that little secret that people don't know that you know yes it's really challenging sometimes but actually working in diversity is one of the best jobs you could ever have because you meet fantastic people even and you meet people that have gone through such adversity and still can smile at the end of it, you know, so that I think that's a real privilege for me to get to meet people like that. It's amazing, you know, thank you for sharing your story. You know, we're an organisation that focuses heavily on personal experience, just because we believe in it so much. And, you know, you hear everyone's story and everyone's so different, right? You know, and sometimes, you know, I've got my own experiences, you've got your own experiences. And even though you can never relate to someone completely, there's always that compassion. And oh, my God, you know, almost in a way, the the inspiration that comes from you sharing your story so um you know firstly thank you and i think off the back of that when you say you've met so many incredible people doing the work that you do do you find like because maybe you are more open to being vulnerable you attract other individuals that are open to be more vulnerable so as an example when you're talking about you back then dealing with a lot of, I guess, the shame, a lot of the judgment. Did you find at times when you couldn't talk about it, you, you didn't know who to talk to, but now I guess you're a lot more open about it. You've maybe sort of experienced um, other people sharing their own stories. So that's a big question, but all I would say is how have you found you being more vulnerable in the workplace has helped you as an individual? It's a fantastic question though, Paul, and actually one I really connect to. So one of, one of the things I said earlier on is, you know, it wasn't until my 30s that I got diagnosed with depression. 
but ironically it wasn't until three years ago now the last two years are like a blur they're like one mm -hmm. big fat year aren't they so it was yeah 2019 that I was correctly diagnosed with post-traumatic uh, syndrome or PTSD, I can't even say it properly. Mm. Uh, and that was all related back to what had happened to me as a teenager. And I got CBT treatment. And the one thing that CBT taught me is the reason why I was having flashbacks from stuff that had happened to me was I didn't talk about it because of the situation and people listening to this po podcast that will have gone through it will know what I'm talking about without me having to say it because mm. of that situation you're told not to tell anybody no one will believe you etc etc so that then affects your mental health whereas I know with other things I've gone through you know the stuff I went through with my first husband and and the stuff I've gone through since I've been really lucky that I've had friends that I've been able to talk about and it it you know reduces that impact so, yeah, I absolutely agree that by being vulnerable and sharing your experiences, people will come forward to you and start talking to you and open up. And it's amazing how many people I meet that are true survivors, be that from whatever. Uh, you know, I used to work in, in domestic abuse years ago. And again, uh, you know, being able to talk about that that situation and, and people being able to share their stories, it, it makes you I think it makes me a better manager as well, because people feel they can trust you and open up and then between you you can then get those solutions put forward but mm. it's not always easy and it's not easy for a lot of people you know some people still can't talk about things some people don't feel the need to talk about things so different people deal with it in different ways so uh, you know uh, for me I know talking is the best therapy in terms of mm. any form of mental health so yeah. So, yeah. I love that. And, and again, you know, when you're looking at the workplace, vulnerability in the workplace, we've we've shied away from it from a very long time. And I think you touched on a couple of the benefits there, you know, trust. You know, when you as a manager can be vulnerable, you create trust between yourself and one of your colleagues, someone in your team that allows them to feel almost permission is not the right word, but permission to talk openly to you as their manager. And you know, I talk a lot about vulnerability because similar to you, it took me a long time to to talk about what I was afraid to talk about. And as soon as I started to talk, people were like, well, yeah, I deal with this. I deal with that. I deal with this. I deal with that. And and there I am feeling like I'm the only one dealing with this. When in reality, as soon as I started to be vulnerable, I realized everyone's human and everyone's dealing with something. Um, but as you say, vulnerability, and I think your story, what you just shared is a great example of that, is there's a lot that you probably don't want to talk about. And I feel like with vulnerability, we feel like we have to tell every, everyone everything. Like, oh, I've got this going on. And when I was younger, this happened and all of this. But actually, you, you're sharing vulnerably, but you're very much in control of that, right? You're not talking about the stuff you don't want to talk about. That's for maybe your private therapy sessions or whatever. But you're in control of that vulnerability. So in the workplace in particular, have you seen anything to be effective with leaders, as an example, sharing more vulnerably? Yeah, and I think, yeah, I, I mean, I think the whole leadership bit, and again, it's, you know, we, we all, as leaders, we have to take ourselves back to when we weren't leaders, when we mm. were more senior staff, and people have this perception, don't they, as, as a leader, I know that, you know, people may see me at events, uh, see me in my fancy clothes, and, and all that kind of stuff, because I like nice things now, mm. and they might think, oh, she's had a, it's found it easy to get to where she is, uh, whereas actually, a lot of leaders I meet 
we've had quite a hard journey to get where where we've got to we haven't had everything given us on a plate we haven't had this you know privilege full privilege box some of us have but not all of us so actually when you share that story your people can go actually you're a real person aren't you you are actually just normal like me um and then it's also i think it's that you know the reason i do it it's more for empowering others it's more to empower, especially when I talk to women, it's about to empower women so you can achieve anything you want to achieve. You know, and, and I think about when I had my daughter and my marriage had broke up and my stepfather turned around to me and said, you know, you've ruined your life and you'll never achieve anything because you've got a mixed race child and no one will want you. You know, that's an awful thing to say to someone at 21. But actually, for me, it made me think, you know what? I'm going to prove you wrong and I can remember when I got my first job in the civil service with you know my first grade got my first grade seven role going to my my mum's house and and taking my payslip and going you know actually I earn more money than you now mate you know because it was and that was my way of going I can't actually mm. say the words kind of <laughs> but the listeners will know what I mean but it's you know it, it's it's we all when we come through situations sometimes we come into contact with not very nice people and it's being able to by sharing your story giving people that confidence that they can you know overcome anything um and i think it's really really important to 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 let people see that you know we are normal we are real and that uh, vulnerability is good but the other good examples i've seen and i've seen some i work i'm really lucky because i've worked along some alongside some great men um you know my boss for example he's a father of two young children he, he shares the childcare, you know and he talks about his children the the, the lockdown's been brilliant because you know his, his children have come in and, and the videos which we found highly hilarious but it's other things as well you look in his diary and you can see when he's got childcare. now to me that sends a clear message that even though he's on our board he's really senior but he is a father and his family is just important as his job. And, and to me, that also empowers other women. You know, it's not just women that need to look after children. And, and I think especially through COVID, that's been a good stuff. So, again, that vulnerability doesn't need to be, oh, you've gone through something really, you know, serious in your life or something really life threatening or whatever. Sometimes it's about showing yourself as a real, real person, bringing your whole self to work. You know, and again, I've worked alongside uh, people from the LGBTQ community. And I remember one of the chairs of a network I used to look after in my old organisation. You know, he said the reason he talks about being a gay man and, and, and wants to normalise that conversation, because he thinks about when he came out and his dad couldn't talk about it at work. And he said he didn't want anyone else to feel the way his dad did. So, again, it's having those normal conversations because then people can see we are work, the workplace is made up of different people from different backgrounds with different experiences. And I love if that. we can't talk about that, that's when it can have an impact on our, our mental health and well-being. Mm. I love that because like that example of your boss, as you say, he's we see vulnerability as, oh, you've got to talk about the grief or that really traumatic experience that you've had. Well, actually, all, all your boss has done there is shown you his kids. And <laughs> it's like, I'm struggling to be a parent and people can relate to that. And that's him just showing vulnerability by just letting you in a little bit more and showing you that he's a little bit more human and then you can relate to him a bit more. That's all it is sometimes. Yeah. Isn't it? 
yeah it is it is and I think that's people think vulnerability is about you know doing this oh woe is me I've had this horrible thing when actually it can be vulnerability can be as as, as simple as going you know I've got a really I've got a really bad hair day today you know I've not put my camera on or something like that people see you as a real person because I think mm. sometimes we we feel we have to be this certain person in the workplace you know again with me come on when I first joined the civil service somebody said to me don't have elocution lessons because I've got quite a strong northern accent now and people will take you seriously and I was mortified you know and the first thing I said to that person was if I've got a Nigerian accent would we be having this conversation to which they look really embarrassed and we ended the conversation uh, but you know I, this is me I'm proud of where mm. I'm from and, and you know I don't think people would treat me any differently if I spoke more more correct you know I think I speak proper actually um other people may not but it doesn't mean that I'm less or more intelligent because of the way I speak and so you know it's it's about being bringing your whole self being yourself and that helps you from from a, a, a well-being point of view yeah and it's so true because you know when we first had a quick little chat before this you know before the before the new year wasn't it and then even when we jumped on the call now it's like I feel like I know you a lot more because you're you're so relatable and you're so personal and you're just you're just authentically yourself whereas there's many conversations that I have and you can tell they want to stay corporate and they want to stay in that corporate environment which is needed sometimes but a lot of the times you know sometimes if we are that little bit more personal we're authentically ourselves it helps and I can definitely relate to the accent part of it because from someone who is from Essex that cannot say his THs and he talks about thinking and thoughts quite a lot. Um, <laughs> it's always a challenge, but I've just learned to just own it. You know, don't, don't worry too much about it. Um, I just want to touch on discrimination a little bit because I think that's something you've experienced, but also relates to the workplace. You know, when you're talking about whether you're, you're a woman and been discriminated against or, um, as you say, the many different communities or many different individuals that experience discrimination on a day-to-day -day basis. As someone who was discriminated against and as someone who was told that, you know, your life's ruined because you've had this, made this decision, how did you find that almost, I would say, in a strength to actually say, you know what, I'm going to prove you wrong or I'm not going to let this discrimination overtake me? And is there any sort of tips you can give to people that might have experienced that before? Yeah, I mean, I think my circumstances are a little bit different because it was within the family, although it's really hard. And I think, you know, in the workplace, it, it may be different uh, and it can seem really hard, especially, you know, if you've got a manager who said that to you or, you know, and I've heard situations where managers have, have said, you know, um, I'm not going to promote anyone if they're gay, for example, or, you know, years, I'm going back years now. Mm -hmm. And if you're in that environment, you're thinking, oh, well, I better not come out because that I've got no chance of that of being promoted so I think you know it's really difficult when you're in that environment to to know how to challenge especially if that's a leader but it's it's about knowing there are systems all organizations should have systems in place should have a grievance process where you can raise concerns try and deal with it informally as first because that works a lot more effectively and sometimes people don't realize that they're treating you less favorably they could inadvertently say something or do something. You know, I truly believe people don't wake up in the morning and think, right, whose life am I going to make miserable when I go to work? There's a couple of people 
think I might have married someone a few years ago like that. But apart from that, <laughs> um, most people don't go purposely go to upset others. So, you know, sometimes when you have the strength to say, actually, when you did that or when you said that, this is how it made me feel, that person could be quite mortified and actually apologise and, and work with you to resolve it. But, you know, where people are fake, treated differently and there are, you know, let's not make no bounds about it, Paul, there are people who unfortunately are treated differently in the workplace because of their ethnicity or because of their gender or because they have a disability. Then there are, there are means in place, the legislation is there, the Equality Act provides protection for people whether they're directly or indirectly discriminated against um, and what action to take and also if you're not sure who to talk to in your organization you can always phone ACAS we have a free helpline it's available for anyone uh, in the UK to phone up on our fantastic helpline advisors can guide you through that what process to take in your organization but you okay. don't have to put up with it and don't believe it when that person says nobody will believe you or I you can't you know you can't overturn me I'm the big manager well actually no one's untouchable and you know discrimination when you look at it it's another form of bullying and what do bullies do we remember when we were at school the bully used to always tell you don't tell the teacher when actually you do need to speak out because again if you don't that's when it can then have a bigger impact on your well-being and you know I think that's why the mental health bit and diversity is hand in hand because I meet a lot of people who have had their mental health affected because of the less favorable treatment they faced be that in the workplace or be that in society mm. um, so I think you know it's if you're experiencing that it's about being brave enough to come forward and speak and if you don't feel you can do that phone ACAS or if you've got a trade union go and talk to your trade union rep if you've got staff networks go and talk to the networks go and talk to HR or talk to a friend at work you know and they might be able to support you as well so there are different avenues uh, in organizations to to help you come forward it's really good advice I think like you say there I mean discrimination and you're looking at again the the, the link to mental health is it's it's the shame that you feel right and and that's the hardest thing with mental health. It's, I'm sure the challenge my dad had, you know, I talk a lot about how my dad, who we sadly lost a suicide was someone who meditated and ran and, you know, had self-help books and had a psychology degree and, you know, all of that stuff you'd think, okay, well, he's going to be good with his mental health. But when I actually understand shame a lot more, because, you know, when I struggled with my mental health, I started to experience it a bit more you realize how powerful shame is like it, it tears away at you. It eats away at you. And I think that example of what you just shared there, if you're an employee in an organization that is discriminated against and you feel shame because of that, and then you feel like there's no one that you can turn to, yeah. that's when it becomes so isolating and, and so hard. So the incredible work like you, you do at ACAS, it's, it's almost in a way that, okay, maybe not someone in the organization, but there's a third party that I could call. There's mm -hmm. stuff that I can now find out that makes me feel like it's a lot easier for me to reach out to, to ACAS as an example, than go and speak to my manager who I may be worried about um, that again, more discrimination and more shame and more judgment from that. So I think that's incredible advice and, and a lot that people can take from that. Um, yeah. I want to go on. I was just going to say, and, and yeah, that is, you, you, you've really hit the nail on the head there, Paul, because I think a lot of people will question, what, if, what have I done to make this person treat me like that? 
Mm. I must be doing something wrong while they treat me like that. And a lot of experience I get is actually you're not doing anything wrong. Actually, you're probably doing something a lot better than that person above you and you're making mm. them not look as good. So then they'll attack you. So, uh, and you know, there's a lot of cases that I've dealt with all over the years where that has been the case that you've had a really good individual uh, and the manager just doesn't like the fact that because they have their own insecurity, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, the, I, I really get the shame bit around. I must have I must have bought this on myself. Yeah, it's that's not learned behaviour, isn't it? And that's what bullies do. You know, you made me do this. If you hadn't have done this, I wouldn't have done that. And, and that's only the same in the workplace. So. Yeah, it's 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 like you say, it's such an we don't talk about it enough right don't talk about it enough because we talk about all of the the little habits that we can do for our mental health which are great but equally the shame part of it is is very powerful and like you say being able to talk about it being able to be vulnerable is 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 really important um i know you do some incredible work in in acas in terms of in terms of your employees in terms of your colleagues um do you want to highlight some of the the stuff that you've done and, and maybe some of the reasons why you've done that by the sounds of it you're someone driving it in terms of your personal experience, which is probably already creating those conversations. But yeah, what have you done in ACAS? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people that can learn from it. So I can't take all the credit for the fantastic work we've done in terms of uh, mental health and wellbeing in ACAS. We've got a fantastic team. I work alongside a fantastic colleague, Francoise Woolley, who's our head of mental health and wellbeing. Um, and also people before her uh, have, have worked on this. So, you know, one of the things we did in ACAS a few years ago was we developed a framework for positive mental health at work. And that framework's really simple because it covers three areas. It covers what should the employer be doing in terms of mental health and well-being? What should managers be doing in terms of mental health and well-being? But also what should you do as an individual in terms of mental health and well-being and we all have a responsibility it's not just about us going to work and saying to to the company what are you going to do for me and in terms of what's an organization going to do it's not just about having free fruit and having a yoga session it's about what is the organization doing to create a culture where for example if they're going through change they think about how will that impact on their people in terms of mental health and well-being in terms of managers you know at ACAS we've seen some fantastic examples not just in our own organization but out there uh, in the in, in other organizations where during the last two years managers have really thought about mental health and well-being especially with staff who were working remotely and making sure they keep in touch with their people and keep connected and that vulnerability bit plumbed part of it but as individuals we all have a responsibility for our own, own mental health and well-being you know and I know that from personal experience you know be that making sure I'm having to take medication when I need to but also you know, making sure I'm keeping fit and healthy and getting out and about. Um, and, you know, that's part of that framework is, is so what can we do to support our people to do that? And uh, one of the things we do in ACAS is we deliver that training out into different companies. Uh, we have four modules that we go out into companies. One of them is, is working with the senior leaders in a business to get them to get that framework set in place. But then it's actually having those conversations and then having conversations with employees. So there's a lot of great work we're doing. We also have a lot of resources on our ACAS website. Uh, so if you go on the ACAS website, which is really simple, www.acas.org.uk, 
Um, and um, one of the things you will find on there, if you put in mental health, you will find our, uh, our hub, which has all the resources on what you can do for yourself, what managers can do, guidance. And then there's also links to other organisations such as Mind, etc., where you can find best practice on um, resources to help and support employees in the workplace. Mm, that's great. It's incredible. And I really like the fact that you've identified that when it comes to mental health in the workplace, you need buy-in across the board because yeah. lots of organizations said, you know what? Yeah, we're going to do something for mental health. And they launch something or they they create an initiative and then no one engages. And and then what I tend to find was the next stage was, okay, let's train managers. And you train managers and that doesn't change the dynamic of the relationship between the colleague and the manager. And then at the end of the day, managers aren't, aren't doing much about it. Some are, but some aren't. So then you kind of look at, okay, how do we get the employees to feel empowered, to, to understand it, to, to take personal responsibility for their mental health? So as you've said there, that approach that you're taking is, is, is almost getting buying across the whole organization, which I'm sure whenever you now launch initiatives is getting more engagement because of that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it is, it's that, it's that, that three you know if you look at the framework it's just three simple circles mm. that interlock in the middle you know mm. it's all about that partnership but it is you can't do one in isolation uh, you can't just have you know i see organizations that will have a health and well-being strategy but nobody knows whose role it is and who's delivering what or they think oh it's hr's role or it's the health and well-being lead Whereas actually, you know, where we've seen it successful is everybody's signed up to where everyone sees it's it's part of our responsibility. And I think that's the change we saw before COVID, but we've really seen it ramp up now over the last two years that organisations are really understanding that mental health and wellbeing is a fundamental element within their organisational culture. And it leads to greater performance, you retain great people you'll recruit great people if people see actually you care about uh, your resource because actually our people are our biggest resource aren't they at the end mm. of the day whatever company it is so looking after your people is key to successful business i know what someone might ask so i'm going to ask you it um because i get asked it a lot as well when you're talking about changing that culture and, and managers and employees and everyone else how do you find ways of tracking that or do you not worry? Do you just wait and see the impact of being able to change that culture? Do you have ways of tracking that? Yeah, we do have ways of tracking that and there's ways that businesses can track it. So um, for us in ACAS ourselves, we have, so we have a people survey, for example, that happens every year. And there's a couple of questions in that people survey. There's something related to diversity and inclusion, but there's also some questions related to mental health and wellbeing. So we, we can look at those responses and then we can track whether that's improving year on year. We can also as well with that data, we can cut it down into different groups so we can see if our disabled employees are more or less positively engaged across certain areas. The other things that give you the indicators is, um, you know, your HR data. So if you look at sickness absence figures, you know, they're really clear, especially if you're tracking your sickness absence and you're monitoring it and seeing what types of absence and you can look at it across your business. So, for example, at ACAS, we've got offices around the country so we can pinpoint if we've got a particular issue at a particular office is, is it, are, are our staff more, uh, you know, off with a certain condition, more likely here or whatever. 
so so that helps you track what your initiatives are doing the other things as well you know you look at your retention rates you know are people leaving are you doing exit interviews are you finding out why people are leaving are they leaving because of stress or the amount of work discipline grievances again looking at what the kind of things are your people saying um so so there's that data part but then there's also listening and hearing what people are saying and we've got staff networks a lot of organizations have set staff networks so it's talking to that keeping your ear on the ground to hear what your people are saying um is also part of that tracker but it takes a long time mm -hmm. uh, and i think some companies think it's a quick fix and oh we've done that tip we can do the box but it, it it takes a long time to change a culture but then you've got to keep maintaining it and i know me and francoise if she was on this um podcast she'd say sometimes we feel like we're spinning the plates at the circus got that plate going and then you have to go to the next <laughs> one so, you know it, you've got to keep those plates spinning because yeah. when you think you've cracked it there you've got to keep it going if that mm. makes sense yeah yeah it's so true it's like you say it's people that still believe that they can run one event on world mental health day and change culture are completely wrong because as you've said you're juggling lots of different plates and you've got the diversity element of it you've got the strategy behind it you've got you know senior leaders buying in you've got so many different factors and and what i was really intrigued by with your answer is all of those data points i'm sure people can use yeah it's the fact that for a lot of us we don't listen and we don't take the time to actually look at that data and say actually maybe we do need to do more for this area this area of mental health or well-being or diversity or whatever yeah. it is yeah. um it's interesting right the, the data is there it's just are we actually using it yeah exactly exactly and i think the other thing as well you know it, it when you're looking at raising awareness think of that intersectionality element as well so you know yeah it's time to talk you have you know initiatives sort of time to talk day or uh mental health awareness week but also you know, um, February, it's LGBT History Month. Now, we know from research that people from the LGBTQ plus community are probably more likely to have poorer mental health because of the discrimination they may have faced or because they're not out in, you know, so they can't be their whole self. And we know if you can't be your whole self, it can have an impact. So it's about having those conversations that, that, reach out to those different communities uh, and that's where the intersectionality uh, comes to and actually then people can hear themselves in that conversation mm, so, true. Part of that. so true so true i've got one more question for you um and this might this is throwing you i haven't prepped you with this question um but can you share one piece of advice that you've been given that's resonated with you the most yeah do you know, it was when I first started working in diversity and inclusion. So I started my career back in 2001 in the fire service, uh, which was a really challenging job. And I can remember my people director taking me into her office. I'd only been there a few weeks. And she said to me, them out there will make you doubt sometimes what you're doing. Go with your gut. Always go with your gut because most of the time the solution is really straightforward and commonsensical. So go with your gut. And I've always kept that. That's kept me going for 20 years. You know, mm. um, it is, you know, a really good piece of advice is go for my gut. 
uh, maybe I could be better at going my with other parts of my life. But in terms of work-wise, um, it's never let me down because a lot of the stuff that we're trying to do around this is really common sense. It's mm -hmm. really easy to do. A lot of stuff is free. You know, talking is free, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, that is the best advice. Uh, and I think the other one is you can't do everything and you won't always please everybody. So, again, I, talk, I tell a lot of people who come and work in my sector, do not come and be a DNI specialist if you think everyone's going to love you and you're going to solve the world overnight because you're in the wrong job. Now, I've been doing this for 20 years and I probably will be doing it for another 20 years and we still will not have true equality because people are people and people have conflict for all different reasons. So, you know, this is forever. And same with, with mental health. I think the difference now is we are recognising now that we all have mental health, be that good or be that bad. But now I think more people are recognising that when our mental health's not as good, speak up and reach out and just remember that you may think you're a burden to someone, you're not. There's always someone who will be there to listen, no matter what time of day, what's happening, there's always someone there who, who you can reach out to. Mm, I love that. Really good advice. And it comes back to actually, it seems like we've prepped this, but that when I asked you about that fire in your belly of why you do what you do and like that's the gut right in a way it keeps you going yeah it does it does it does and it is you know I, I think I think about you know when I was in that situation where it was just me and my daughter we were in a, a bed and breakfast you know I'd, I'd left I'd left home with two bin liners full of stuff and you know I, I think back to that young girl and I just think you know if if I can reach out to someone like that and make the difference just to one person, my work is done. And I just feel so privileged to have the job I have at ACAS that actually I, I can make a difference to a lot of people and remove those barriers wherever possible. Um, you know, I just feel really lucky to do what I do. And I think that's what also keeps me, keeps me going, mm. uh, you know, so yeah. It's incredible. I can relate to a lot of that. Um, Julie, I could speak to you for hours and hours but it is approaching half past five and we all want to stop for the day um but just finally we're going to link up to some of the resources that you've shared um on ACAS is there any other ways that people can connect with you um yeah um I'm on Twitter so you can follow me on Twitter I'm also on LinkedIn uh, and again on our um our ICAS website we've got blogs and everything so you know people can email me through um our contact details so uh, so yeah I am available out there I'm not that good on social media though sometimes. <laughs> amazing no I mean you've done a very good job today so now Julie just from from me and the whole team it's always incredible to hear personal experience um but also then just putting the workplace lens on it I think it's always incredible when um, someone as open and honest as you talks a little bit more about how other businesses can do more. And, and when you say about reaching out and trying to help that one person who was in your situation at once, I'm sure you've helped many, 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 many more. And I get told that and I don't believe it. But at the same time, I want you to believe it because I'm sure you've helped a lot of people in the work that you do. Um, oh. So yeah, just incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. Oh, thank you. I've enjoyed every second and it's just, it doesn't feel like we've been talking for as long. So thank you for asking me to join you today. No worries. Thanks again, Julie. Thanks.